Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. Let's stand together. I'm going to read the word at the beginning of that. And I want to pray. I want to pray for... uh good friend of mine, their family, in just a moment. But let me read this scripture. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in the letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadfastly at Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? The ministry that condemns men is glorious. How much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what is fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We're not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while its radiance was faded away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses read the veil, covers their hearts. Now the Lord is spirit. Where the spirit of the Lord is, veiled, uh, spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, all reflect God's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is spirit. Amen. We're going to talk about a greater glory today. We're going to pray, and I want us to remember uh, uh, Dewey Mixon, great friend of mine and a friend of this church, served this church in so many different ways. He passed away this last week. His funeral will be Wednesday at 2 o'clock right here at the church. Viewing for those who can't come in the day will be at Russell Funeral Home at 7 o'clock on Tuesday night. But I want us to pray for the family and lift them up today. They're a part of our family, a part of our church body. And let's pray that God will have his way in the service today. Father, we come to you right now. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God of all comfort. And we pray, God, for the family of Dewey, that you will just minister grace to them, to their children, all the grandchildren, God, all those who are so impacted by his life. I just pray you'll be with them. You'll wrap your arms around them and extend your comfort and grace. And We pray, God, as we open up the word of God and this message today, that you will open up our hearts, that we will receive what you have for us, that you will do greater things. We'll see a greater glory than ever before right here at Faith Assembly of God. And we ask it in your holy, mighty name. Amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I don't know if you've ever really grasped about who we are in Christ Jesus. I think when we get a handle on who we are and begin to identify that and relate to that, it'll change the way we live our life. Let me just give you a few quick things that the Bible says about who you are, who we are right now if you know the Lord Jesus Christ. First Peter 2 says, you are a chosen people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. That's us. We are a royal priesthood today. Everybody's a priest in the house who knows the Lord Jesus Christ. First Peter 1 says you are born of imperishable seed, not perishable seed, a seed that never passes away, so I have life inside of me, born again, born anew of God. Second Peter 1 says that his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. All you need 
to follow Christ, all you need for everlasting life and to live a godly life has already been given to us through his divine nature that's in us now. It says we are joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. That means with Christ because I'm in him and he's in me, I share in all the riches of his inheritance that's coming to him. I have that in Christ Jesus. Amazing. Uh, it says in Romans chapter 8, it says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors. So when it feels like the world's squeezing you in and you wonder, where's all this stuff I read about in Scripture and I don't see it in my life, the Bible says I am more than a conqueror. And so because Christ died and rose again, I died with him and I rose again in him and I have his victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's incredible when you think about it. Now, now the question we've got to ask ourselves is though, I think so often we live beneath who we are through the calling of Christ Jesus. We don't live up to our potential in Christ Jesus. We don't act like it in Christ today. Do we see any different, significant difference today between people of the world and people of faith? I wonder sometimes. The statistics for divorce are just about the same within the church and outside the church. We, we struggle with the same struggles of envy and jealousy and we have strife and bitterness and we sometimes can't get along with each other in the family of God. And so all these things are going on in our life. Are we really that much different than anyone else in the world? Do we, do we shine out as lights in the darkness? The Bible said he's called us out of his darkness into his marvelous lights, and it says, ye are the light of the world. Are we really being the light of the world, or are we too much like the world for the world to see a difference? Wow. Something to think about. Do we have the character and integrity and morality? Is it dramatically different than those who are in the world, or are our moral values the same, and have we kind of bought into all the morality that's in our world today? Do we see a mark difference are we as christ collective church experience the presence and power that god wrote about he talks about a mighty church pouring out a spirit on all flesh these signs shall follow those who believe in my name they will cast out demons in my name the eyes will be opened up in my name these things will happen are we seeing that happen in our generation today I want to tell you, if it's not happening to the degree God said it would, the problem is not with God, the problem is with us. I believe God has glorious days still in store for his church. There is a greater glory still yet to come. But we live beneath that so often in our lives. We look at the early church. It was an amazing church. I mean, miracles were done. Signs and wonders were done uh, at the hands of the apostles. Demons were cast out, and, and they just made a stand for the Lord. They said no one lacked anything in their midst. And uh, it, when they talked about the early church, they said, these are the ones who turned the world upside down. They, they revolutionized their world. So often we're affected by culture, but the early church turned their world upside down. Are we having that same kind of impact today? And yet I believe God intends the latter glory to be greater than the former glory. And as glorious as the early church was, he wants to do new and fresh things in our midst today. But do we believe it can really happen? Jesus taught his disciples to pray. He said, pray this way. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Are, are we seeing 
that kingdom will being done. Listen, I believe God has greater things in store for faith assembly of God, for the church today and these last days in which we're living. I believe we're living in the last days and this is the day when he talked about the outpouring on all flesh. We are seeing a great harvest of souls all around the world, but sometimes I think in America, we've become more enculturated than we are impacting culture. I believe God wants to do greater things in your own life that you will see this year for you will be a year of growth in the Lord Jesus Christ, a year of change, a year of God using you and seeing your family members saved and brought into the Lord in 2018. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul writes to the Corinthians and he talks about two kinds of glory. He said there was the former glory of the old covenant and then he said there is a greater glory of the new covenant and then he gives an example and an illustration of a man by the name of Moses who goes up on the mountain and gets the law on Mount Sinai and so this is kind of what this passage is dealing with and all about first of all to understand this you got to understand what the word glory means the word glory in the Hebrew was the word kabod everybody say kabod kabod you learned your Hebrew word for today and it literally means splendor greatness might majesty, awesomeness, honor, all those kind of words encompass what the word kabod means, but it also meant heaviness. When you go down to the very root of the word, it meant heavy. And so you hear the expression, the weight of God's glory. And what we're saying when we talk about the heaviness of God's glory is there is no shortfall, no shortage in God's glory. It is a heavy glory. It is a full glory. It is an awesome glory. It is all those things to us and even more. God is not in short supply. Now, Paul writes to Corinthians, and he says, as glorious as the law was in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, on Mount Sinai, the covenant he made with his chosen people, the nation of Israel, he said there is a far greater glory that we see through the New Covenant. And then he illustrates it. He says, Moses went on top of Mount Sinai, and there he got the law. And remember, he he gets the the mountains on fire. There was such an awesome presence of the glory of God on that mountain that they even felt that anybody who even touched the mountain would be killed on the spot. It's lightning and thunder, and it's a cloud of smoke, and Moses is up there, and he comes down off the mountain, and something happens. His face is glowing. It is so bright that the children of Israel could not even look on his face and see it. And, and, And he said, but he said, so Moses put a veil or a covering over his face. But he goes on to say, it wasn't just so to protect their eyes from seeing this brightness of God's glow or God's glory. The veil was put there so they would not see the glory fading away. And the longer Moses was out of the presence of God, the longer he was off of the top of the mountain, the more and more his face faded away and he looked just like anybody else in the camp. Paul says that glory that's reflected in Moses' face is a type of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the law. The law, he said, was glorious, but the law could never save anybody. The law could never bring life. The law, as Paul says, only shows us that we are sinful people and we need a Savior. But the Savior would come, he would bring the new covenant, he would give his life for us, his blood would be shed, and through the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a far surpassing glory than whatever they saw in the Old Covenant. That's amazing. And the glory that Moses had was fading away. 
The glory of Jesus Christ, because he lives inside of us, will never ever fade away. And the veil that covered Moses' face, we don't have to wear it. There's no veil anymore because now we can behold Jesus Christ face to face by the spirit of the living God. Nothing is there to separate us ever again because Jesus Christ has been spilled, offered up in the holy of holies in the heavenlies, and now I can approach God's throne of grace. And he says the glory we have today is greater than the glory of the old covenant. There's another illustration, not just of Moses, but there's one of the temple. I want you to turn to Haggai chapter 2. Haggai chapter 2, and uh, I want you to look at verse number 9. He says, and the glory, everybody say glory, of the present house will be greater, there's the word, that's our theme for this month, greater things, the the, the glory of the present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty, and in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Now he talks about two temples. He talks about a temple that was Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple was glorious to look at. It was an amazing temple. Solomon had was the probably the wealthiest, maybe the wealthiest man to ever live on the face of the earth in terms of his generation. Gold, silver, precious stones. He got, and I want to get this, he got 200,000 men worked in his building of building Solomon's temple. So 200,000 men, it took them seven years. It was a magnificent beautiful structure that set as a beacon of light right on Mount, top of Mount Moriah. And everybody who saw that old temple marveled at the glory, the, the splendor, the majesty of Solomon's temple that he built. But something happened. You know, because of Israel's sin and idolatry, uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes in with the Babylonian army, and they're going to take Israel and the best and the brightest into captivity. You have Daniel, and you have the three Hebrew children, and they're taken in captivity, and you get the whole story there, and they're, they're taken hundreds of miles away to Babylon. In the process, he raises the temple, I mean, tears it up, destroys it, takes out all the gold, all the silver, all the things that are priceless out of the temple, and he carts it back to Babylon. Uh, The Medes and Persians will come in and they will overthrow the Babylonian Empire. And you see that in the book of Daniel as well. And so they're gonna be there, but they're gonna be there for about 70 years. At the end of 70 years, and and the prophets had told it would last that long, at the end of seven years, they are allowed to go back under the governor Zerubbabel and rebuild the temple. And you have the book of Ezra, talks about rebuilding the temple. And so they head back, and they're going to rebuild the temple back in Jerusalem and put it back to its former glory. So they thought. They get there, they find it in ruins and in rubble, and it's all torn up. And the, the, the old timers who remembered seeing Solomon's temple, those who were over 70 years of age, who remember the good old days, says the glory of the new temple will never be as glorious as Solomon's temple. And the Bible says they sat down and they wept. And Haggai is a prophet that is raised up by God to give Israel this message. He says in verse number nine, he says, don't worry. He said the glory of the former temple will not be near as great as the glory of the latter temple. And there is a new temple that is coming that will be far greater than that temple. 
Oh, the only trouble is when they build it, it doesn't compare to Solomon's temple. It doesn't even look like Solomon's temple. It's not near as glorious with all the golds and jewels and stones and everything else that was put in Solomon. It wasn't near as nice. King Herod would later come and add on the second temple. And so by the time of Jesus Christ, in Jerusalem, you have what is now known as Herod's temple. And it was, it was more massive. It was certainly bigger, but probably not more glorious. And in, in, not just in its appearance, but in the old Solomon's temple, remember what happens when they dedicate the temple? The cloud comes down. It fills the temple. The, the smoke and presence of God is so awesome. The Bible says the priests could not even perform their priestly duties. They had to fall on their face and then eventually clear out of the temple before they could resume their duties and their sacrifices. You never see any occurrence of that happening in the new temple that would be built. And so what's he mean the glory of the former? The latter will be greater than the glory of the former temple. What's he talking about there? Well, there would come a day when Jesus Christ would walk into that temple. Jesus Christ is the greater glory. He is the one who would come in. And you remember, the, remember in, the, in, the, in the Bible, Jesus Christ stands up in Herod's temple and he makes this statement. And everybody, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees, he's committing blasphemy. He says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And so later he is tried as a revolutionary. They will crucify the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the charges they levied against him was, he said of himself, I will destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Therefore, we need to kill him before he destroys the temple. And the writers of the Bible say he is not talking about Herod's temple. He is talking about his own temple because Jesus Christ is the temple of the holy God incarnate dwelling dwelling among us. The temple of Jesus Christ. You read the book of John and you have this description of, of, of Jesus' birth. And, and Matthew and Luke give these long Christmas accounts and you read the Christmas stories just last month to your kids and you talked about the shepherds and the wise men and all those kind of things going on. And, and John comes with this cosmic view of the beginning. He says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And so we're asking ourselves, who is this divine logos that emanates from God, that was in the beginning with God, and was fully God? And then he tells us in verse number 14, he makes this statement, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Who was that divine logos, that divine word? None other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and John makes this statement. He's telling us that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. And he makes this statement. He, he dwelt among us. The word dwelt there is the word for tabernacled, which later became the temple. In other words, God himself took on flesh, pitched a tent, and lived and dwelt among us. And then John goes on to say, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten Son of God. What is the glory that Haggai is talking about? Like many of the other prophets, they saw that day when Messiah would come and that Messiah would walk into that physical temple, but he himself was the temple of the living God. It is all found in Jesus Christ. And the point I'm making is this. The glory of the latter is Jesus. 
and he is greater than the Old Testament system, the Old Covenant, and the law that was given. Everything that ever happened in the law and the prophets all pointed to one who would come who would be more glorious, the Lord Jesus Christ. And John says we saw that glory with our own eyes. We witnessed it. How do those disciples witness Jesus' glory? On one occasion, Jesus gave them a sneak peek. He takes Peter, James, and John. He says, come up to this mountain with me. We refer to it now as the Mount of Transfiguration because something glorious happened on top of that mountain. Peter, James, and John, they're falling asleep. They can't stay awake. That happened often when they would stop to pray. They, like us, they fell asleep. And they woke up, and they saw this glow, this glorious Bright, shining glow emanating from Jesus Christ. He was as white as you could be, light coming through his body. It was an amazing scene they saw. And, and he's talking to two people from the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah. Some consider Elijah to be the greatest prophet ever. And of course, Moses was the lawgiver. But what is happening? The greater glory is found in Jesus Christ. And he's talking about his upcoming death. And Peter is so taken back. He said, this is amazing. We just want to stay here forever. Let's build three tabernacles. Let's pitch three tents. And let's just remain here on top of this mountain forever. The glory of God was so awesome. And what was, what was Jesus Christ doing? He was allowing the glory that was veiled in flesh, that was tempted in flesh, that was dwelling among us, he allowed that for a brief moment to come on the outside so the disciples could behold his glory and realize that he truly is God Almighty, the Son of God. There were other times they beheld his glory. I, I, in John, John chapter 11, he gets word that Lazarus has been sick. And they say, come quick, Lazarus is about to die. He is sick unto death. And it says, Jesus delayed his coming two days. How, how many times have you ever cried out, God, I, I'm sick, I need you now, and then God delays. And we don't understand why. And it doesn't make sense to us, and we can't add it up. But what's happening is, they were looking for a divine healing, and God was looking for a resurrection. And there are times he will let things die in you so that he can bring about a greater resurrection in his time, in his plan, in his will and way. So he delays this coming. He arrives to the tomb, and, and by the time he gets there, Lazarus had been dead now four days. And they roll, he says, roll away the stone. They say, Master, don't do it. It's gonna, it smells in there. He's already decomposing. His spirit has already left his body. And, and God reaches down into the spirit realm and pulls back his spirit, puts it in Lazarus' body, and Lazarus comes walking out of that tomb alive. An amazing miracle that he does on the earth. But look what he says about that miracle. John 11, Verse four, he says, this sickness is not unto death. This is when he's first heard the news about Lazarus. But for the glory of God. God's gonna get glory out of this event. That the son of God may be glorified through it. When do they behold his glory? When he stands in front of a tomb and says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes waddling out already in his grave clothes. They saw the glory of almighty God resting upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, through this, the son of man will be glorified. Jesus Christ is the greater glory. His covenant with us 
through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is so much more powerful, greater than any Old Testament covenant. Mountains on fire, smoke of God filling temples and tabernacles. It doesn't compare to the glory that we now have in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a greater glory by far. The glory that he talked about when he hung on the cross. And in his shame and nakedness as he hung on that cross and blood running down his hands and his, his visage was so marred they could not even recognize his face, the writer of Isaiah says. We, we, we could not even recognize him. There was no form of comeliness in him whatsoever when he hung on that cross and bore our shame and bore our sins. But Jesus himself would say in this, the Son of Man is be, being glorified because he's given his life for every single one of us. And then three days later, there's the glory of the empty tomb and the Spirit of God breathes on that tomb and he walks out alive and he appears himself for the next 40 days with many signs and wonders, teaching and preaching about the kingdom of God. And then they had this magnificent, glorious moment as Jesus is going up into the heavenlies out of the Mount of Olives and, he, and the cloud takes him up and the angel says, quit gazing up there. This same man, will, this son of man will come again in like manner as you've seen him taken up and they beheld his glory and now he is seated at the right hand of the heavenly father ever making intercession for us. The greater glory is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the greater temple. He is the greater sacrifice. He is the greater covenant. He is the greater glory. Hallelujah. All in Jesus. Now, follow with me here. That greater glory of Jesus Christ, because now I am in him and he is in me, now resides inside of me. We, the church today, are the greater temple, are the greater glory than anything Solomon could ever dream or imagine. Listen to 1 Corinthians 3.16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in you or in your midst. We are the temple of the living God. I'm the tabernacle that was in the Old Testament. I'm Solomon's temple. I'm Herod's temple. I'm all those things. And, and Jesus Christ, God comes and he dwells inside of me. That means I am a partaker of God's greater glory. Mm. The same spirit that fills Solomon's temple and they couldn't even do their sacrifices anymore now lives in me. The glory, the greatness of God's presence and power is greater than the former glory of the physical temple. Now, before Solomon's temple, there was what was known as the tabernacle. Remember David tried to uh, build the temple, and, and God told David, you're not going to do it. Gather the stuff up, gather the money, gather the jewels, but your son will build the temple. And so all they had in that time was a tabernacle. They pitched a tent that took them through the wilderness. When they got to the Holy Land, they, eventually it was built in, in the city of David. And then, of course, you have this glorious scene where David brings the ark, symbolic of the glory of God, back into the tabernacle. But that tent was just a rough looking tent. There was nothing elaborate about it, nothing fancy, no jewels, no stones. It was just animal skins that made up the tent. Nothing to look at. It was all about what was on the inside. It was about the Ark of the Covenant and the presence of God. Now follow me here. Listen to me. We are nothing to look at. You look at the outside, you see us. We are filled with flaws. We have problems. We have shortcomings. We're 
fat, we're tall, we're skinny, we're ugly, we got freckles, we got whatever it is, and there's nothing glorious about our external tabernacle. But listen to 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessel. In other words, jars of clay, lumps of dirt. We are lumps of dirt made and formed by God. Listen, that the excellence of the power of God may rest upon God, not of us. It is all about God's power within me. It is not about who I am, and that's great news for us today. I don't care how many times you may have failed, sinned, blown it, how, how stored your past may be when Christ comes and he lives inside of you. God delights in taking the weak things of this world to confound the wise and the strong. And he uses us. Why? Because it's not me. It's Christ within me. That is the hope of my glory. It's all about his presence in me. I want to take you back to 2 Corinthians 3 and the story of Moses. Moses is on that mountain. His face shines bright. He says, a veil was worn to keep people from seeing the glory fade away. Solomon's temple, as glorious as it was, would be replaced by a greater glory. It was only passing. Everything about the temple, everything about the law, everything about the old covenant pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 10, he says, for what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. We are living in the day of the greatest glory of God, I believe, can ever happen on the face of the earth. Now, let's look at 2 Corinthians three sixteen again. It says, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. What's he talking about? The veil that Moses wore. He had to wear a veil because why? The glory was fading. Now that I know Jesus Christ, there's nothing that separates me from God ever, ever again. I don't go into his presence and come out of his presence. I don't go spend time with him and then leave and the glow leaves me. The glory's within me, so therefore the veil that separates me from God is now taken away. Now the Lord is spirit. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I have the spirit of the Lord within me. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed or changed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. Now, it says in the King James, from glory to glory, it means there are different levels of God's glory. And it means that glory in you even though we are fully filled with all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, it can be manifest more gloriously in my life. We are being transformed into his likeness for ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is spirit. Mm. The veil, that which separates us from God, Moses from God, which separates us from other people, he says it's taken away because this glory never fades never fails, never leaves, never diminishes. In fact, as I behold the face of God, it can literally grow in my life and in my experience and to others around me. There's also a reference, there was a veil that hung in the temple. And in the temple, there was a veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the priest and everybody else, and the people could not enter. But the Bible says when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he said that veil was ripped from the top to the bottom, symbolic that now I can come into the presence of the living God. There is no veil there anymore. 
been taken away. And now we can behold God's glory, and as I do, we are being changed. And we are changed from glory to glory, grace to grace, and we become more and more like Jesus Christ. When you behold something, there's, there's what's called the mirror theory. When you behold something, he even uses this terminology here, it's like looking in a mirror. When you look at something long enough, you begin to come like that thing. You, you, don't, you don't believe it, look at your kids. Your kids see mom and dad, and uh, they say something, you say, where'd they get that? And they say, well, honey, you say that all the time. Well, they got it from you. We, they, they become what they look at. They become what they gaze at. And so the bottom line is if we want to grow from glory to glory, we've got to behold the face of the Lord Jesus Christ, spend time with him and in his presence. We are being transformed from glory to glory. The glory seen in Christ should be the glory that people see in us. And if people don't see Jesus in us, my question is, are we spending time beholding his face? If they don't see the light, if we're no different than anybody else, if we act just like everybody else, if we talk like this world, if we have the same world's morals and world's values and, 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 and attitudes, if that is in our heart, in our life, and stays there, and we're not growing and we are plateaued where we're right at in Jesus Christ, it's because we have stopped looking in the face of the Lord. But he says, as we look into his face, as we gaze at the Lord, we are being changed. Uh, we are present perfect tense. I am always growing, always becoming more and more like Jesus in my life. Yes, I have him now, but is it coming out for the world to see? And it only comes out as we learn to behold his face. Gazing at the glory of the Lord. There's a pattern in scripture that rings true, and it goes like this. God saves the best for last. And I believe the best days are still ahead for the church. And that's my hope, and that's my prayer, and that's my dream and vision. Ecclesiastes 7.8 says, the end of a thing is better than its beginning. Remember when Jesus goes to the wedding at Cana of Galilee, and... Uh, his mother Mary says, you know what, they could be running low on wine, just keep an eye out, do something about it, Lord. And they have these uh, water pots filled with ceremonial cleansing of people's feet. And because to have that much water on hand, it was for the cleansing rituals they would go through. So literally enough feet had been washed in that, it's probably filthy, dirty water. And they run out of wine and Jesus says fill the water pots and they fill these water pots up and he turns the water into wine. And remember what happens, he says usually, the, the host says usually the best is served first and then the worst wine is served at the end. That's because by the time they get to the end they will be so inebriated they won't even recognize what the latter wine tastes like. But he says in this case the best is served last. This is the very best tastiest wine we've ever had. There is a new wine in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a new wine of the Holy Spirit of God that he has for every single one of us. I believe the latter will be greater than the former, that the latter glory of this temple, of my temple, of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ today will be greater than Solomon's temple or anything that happened in the past. Why? Because now we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of the Lord God Almighty. John 14, 12, 
And this is our theme verse for this entire series. It says, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works. Jesus tells his followers, you can do greater works than I have done. The church of Acts had a remarkable beginning. It was phenomenal. The church exploded over the Roman Empire. Why do we have to believe that the church at the end of the day when Jesus Christ comes back for his bride, a bride without spot or wrinkle, why do we have to think that's going to be any less glorious than the magnificent world-changing church of the book of Acts? I believe God is calling his people and his church back to him. And it starts by realizing who we are in Christ Jesus, and then I spend time beholding his face, and I'm being changed and transformed from glory to glory to glory. And I believe God has some exciting things in store for us in 2018, the greatest year ever, as he takes us from glory to glory to glory. But it's going to take an audacious faith. Do we really believe that? Or are we just hearing another message? Or do we leave unchanged? Or do we let the word of God penetrate our spirits and take off the veil? Wow. Believe God for greater. Let's believe this year for more souls saved than ever before. I want people, when they come in, will so feel and sense the presence of God by being around God's people. They will want to run to these altars and repent and give their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe you will be more empowered as you moved out through the power of the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses in your workplace, in your neighborhoods, wherever you go, that we'll see souls saved. I believe men and women who've been struggling with addictions and and bondage, that will be broken in their lives. And as they gaze at the face of the Lord, he can break that power, that stronghold, and they can find that freedom that's in the Holy Spirit of God. Do we believe? Believe we see miracles again. Bodies will be healed where the church rallies and prays and believes God together that the same God who healed in the Old Testament, New Testament, can do it again today because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do we believe God can heal the sick or not? Wow. I believe God for greater, greater, a greater year in every single way. Now, as we begin this new year, I'm going to challenge you to begin by fasting. We do this, we've done this probably 15, 16 years in a row, maybe longer than that now, where the first week of the year, the first full week of the year, we set aside for a time of fasting and prayer. You say, why do we do that, Pastor? Well, it's so we can just center in and behold his face and behold his glory so God can change and transform us. We do not fast to twist God to our will, to get God to do things and say, look at me, I haven't eaten all day long, now God, you owe me. Listen, he doesn't owe us anything, but as I begin to seek his face and fast, he changes me, he transforms me, and he does something inside of me. We're gonna fast from Monday through Friday. You can fast however you want. The Jewish people would fast sometimes from sundown to sunup. So if you want to fast all day long and break your fast in the evening when the sun goes down, if God leads you to do that, do that and eat your family meal together. Some of you will say, I don't want to eat these five days at all. This church will be open at noontime for noon prayers. And so if you are not working, if you're available or can take the lunch hour off and come and join us, we're going to pray around this place. We're going to seek the Lord and wait on him. There'll be worship and praise and uh, times of personal introspection and times of group prayer and joining together in prayer. You are welcome to join us. That will be Monday through Friday. And so this place will be open every single day for that. Some of you may do a Daniel fast. 
You'll just eat veggies or something like that. We read about that in the book of Daniel. And you'll see it in other places in the world where they they just gave up meats and animal products. And others of you will fast the internet or you'll fast television or you'll fast something that may have a hold on you that you just say, I don't want to do this. I'm going to focus it on God instead of all watching some mindless television show at night. We're going to spend time praying together as a family. But do do what God wants you to do. Let God lead you. Don't do this because of law or because I've said so, but just let, let the Spirit of the Lord lead us and just be obedient to Him. Let Him guide us. And I'm so excited about when we come back together next Sunday. I just feel there's going to be a, a power and anointing here because we've been waiting on the Lord. Now, we also, if you're on the Faith app or you're on Fellowship One or one of those mediums, we're going to send you a devotional every single morning. It'll hit your phone. It'll hit your app from 7, 7.30 to 8.30, I think. And that will give you something to pray about that day. We've got five very specific things we're praying about and targeting throughout the week. So by all means, if you haven't downloaded the Faith app, download it now. Your devotion will come there. It's written by our staff, and you'll see that, and you'll read that, and that gives you your prayer target for that day. And I think it's going to be powerful when the whole church is praying. The whole church is seeking God. The whole church is fasting. And and we're going to believe him for a release of God's power and God's spirit in our lives. Amen? I'm excited about what God's going to do. How many excited about this year? I, I'm, I am so excited. Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org.